Physical blindness, that we just heard in John 9, is what keeps people from appreciating and uh, enjoying what there is to see. People who have been blind from birth don't really understand colors. I have never seen sunsets and the beauty of sunrises. I remember just this past week, um, I was out looking at uh, a Tannum Ridge before the sun came up, and it had a blue hue or a deep purple hue to it. And the first thing that the sun hits in the morning is Mount Adams, and it is beautiful to the eye, isn't it, if you've seen it? And we need to understand that creation, this beautiful world in which we live, is just the tip of the divine iceberg. God has created the physical beauty all around us to give us hints of his infinite beauty, to, to help us see the glory of Christ and, and his matchless perfections. We've been designed by God to experience and enjoy him, but we are spiritually blind, just like the man in John 9 was physically blind and cannot see or appreciate or enjoy him, just like blind people cannot enjoy sunrises. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 119, looking at verse 18, and we will um, see some wonderful things here, and I think John 9 will help us understand them. Psalm 119, verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Until God opens our spiritual eyes, there is a spiritual darkness that inhibits our vision. This is a lesson from this text. So what is spiritual blindness? What is it all about? Are you spiritually blind? Do you have spiritual cataracts, as it were, blurring or darkening your vision to God uh, in, and his word. Uh, one way to understand a little bit about this, spiritual, this concept of spiritual darkness is to read how Paul described the Jews back in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Listen as I read this in Paul's description of them. But the Jews' minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that's the Old Testament, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. They're blind. They don't understand it. The same spiritual veil covers the eyes of our hearts until we experience a miracle of grace. So what is the origin of this spiritual darkness that we're born with? And we are all born with it. Where did it come from? I mean, we're born, physically born with spiritual sight for the most part. Why is it that we're hearing now that we're all born spiritually blind? Well, let me, let me uh, try to explain it to you. If you were to ask the question, am I spiritually blind? The answer would be yes. Everyone is. But how? Why? 
you remember back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve first fell into sin, they cast from that moment on the entire human race into spiritual darkness. The human race lost its ability to understand spiritual truth from that moment forward. The Apostle Paul describes this in numerous places, but let me take you to two. First is Romans chapter 5. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that is Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. It's not just physical death he's talking about here. He's also referring to spiritual death, spiritual darkness. It spread to everybody from Adam. He goes on to explain this same phenomenon to the Ephesian church, which you heard read this morning. For at one time you were darkness. Not just that you were in a dark room, you yourselves were darkness, Paul describes. He goes, but now you're in, you are light in God, walk as children of light. So at one point in time, every human being finds himself in darkness because of the sin of Adam. That's the origin of it. That's why you were born spiritually blind, because you were born a human who has a sinful heart. How do the how does the spiritual darkness evidence itself? What are the forms of the spiritual darkness? I have three to mention to you. There may be more, but I'll mention three. The first is the veil of ignorance. Paul said that the Jews had this veil, spiritual veil over their eyes that darkened their understanding. They read the word but didn't understand it. There was this veil of ignorance, as it were. They, they, they the person who has this veil of ignorance over their spiritual eyes may hear the Bible taught. They may be intrigued by the stories. They may even enjoy the atmosphere of the church and yet never personally get the gospel. They don't, it doesn't register for some reason. They could be in church their entire lives and not understand the gospel. You, if you ask them to explain the gospel and, and tell you how they might know Christ and his salvation, they would maybe reach for social justice or good works or church attendance or personal effort or the like, trying to explain this thing they don't really understand. Paul made this comment to the Jews in Rome, quoting from Isaiah. He said this, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. They're hearing the gospel, they're hearing the stories, they, they, see, they, they see the words on the page, but they don't get it. They don't understand. It's not making sense to them. And the reason is because of spiritual darkness, and spiritual darkness is spiritual. It's not a matter of the intellect or the grasp of language or even an interest in religious things. It's spiritual. A first grader, for example, can recognize and pronounce all the letters of the alphabet. Can they understand a college textbook on science? No. It's gobbledygook to them, and yet they could maybe even pronounce the words. There, there's no comprehension. They have, they're incapable of it. Like those who sit in church year after year, hearing the gospel preached, hearing it taught, singing the songs, listening to the prayers, and walk out blind to spiritual truth. It's spiritual darkness. A question that you could ask yourself to see if the veil of ignorance remains over your spiritual eyes would be this. Can I repeat the gospel of Jesus Christ? Could I tell someone how to get to heaven if they asked me? 
Could I explain to them how they could have their sins forgiven? This, this might give you an indication of whether or not you still have your spiritual blinders on. You see, you may be able to recite verses, tell Bible stories, and be fairly fluent in systematic theology, but really never know God. It's like, it's like the question is like, the question of can I share with somebody how they can know God? Can I explain to someone the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is like trying to explain to you how to get out to the Bass Ranch out in Weenass, the Weenass Valley. I can get out to the Bass Ranch because I've been out there a lot, over 10 times. I know how to get there. I could say this to you, get on that Weenass Highway and go towards Weenass Lake. When you get past Weenass Lake, the road forks, take the left. When it turns into dirt, take the right, go past two ponds, take another right, and you'll be at the Bass Ranch. You would all get lost with those directions. Unless you were with me in the car and got there yourselves. Then you would know how to get to the Bass Ranch. And you could tell other people how to get to the Bass Ranch. You could take them there. It's kind of like the gospel. Until you've been there, you don't know how to take people there. You may hear the directions, but they're fuzzy. Makes no sense to you. So can you tell people how they can know God and have their sins forgiven? If you can, it may be because the, the veil of ignorance remains over your spiritual eyes. L listen to this astounding passage from Deuteronomy concerning spiritual blindness and, and exposure to spiritual truth and yet remaining in darkness. Deuteronomy 29, And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes and in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Are you kidding me? They saw it all and they didn't get it. Which is why they were complaining again one week into the wilderness. They didn't understand it, and they were first-hand witnesses. Veil of ignorance. Couldn't see it. Right in front of them, they couldn't see it. Like a blind person looking at Mount Adams on a beautiful sunrise. What? I don't get it. That's what this is. The veil of ignorance. Another form is the veil of secular knowledge. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 Paul speaks of this to a church that pretty puffed up about their knowledge. Paul says to them, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge, quote unquote, possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. What's Paul talking about here? What kind of knowledge is he talking about? Secular knowledge, wisdom, worldly wisdom, science, math. That's what he's talking about. Jesus spoke of the same thing to the Pharisees that we just heard from John 9. Listen to, again. Jesus says, For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see. What's that mean? Spiritually blind people will become able to see spiritual things because of the ministry of Jesus. And he says, And those who see, those who claim knowledge, are blind. You see, what we're talking about here, what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying, is just because you have secular 
knowledge has nothing to do with spiritual vision. Do you remember the, the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John 3? Nicodemus was the premier teacher in Israel. He was the guy with all the answers. And this conversation that Jesus had with him in John 3 is very revealing. Look what Jesus said to him in the 10th verse of this chapter. Are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? You're telling me, Nicodemus, you're the premier teacher of Israel and you can't add one plus one? What's the problem here? Listen closely. Spiritual blindness is the problem. Nicodemus was not a dummy. He was a brilliant teacher. And yet he did not understand spiritual things. See, people with great secular knowledge may be intelligent they may be able to explain the, the details of the cosmos, but not have an idea of the basics of the gospel. Why? Because their spiritual eyes are veiled. The, the veil of secular knowledge. So we have a veil of ignorance, veil of secular knowledge. Look at this next veil. The veil of corrupt affections. The veil of corrupt affections. So before the, the Holy Spirit converts us and gives us a new heart with eyes that can see, eyes that, that embrace Christ and, and a heart that loves God, and uh, before that happens, what, what are we all about? Isn't it safe to say we're about self before we come to Christ? Um, we're about pleasing self. What, what drives the unregenerate person is what will make them feel good and happy in the moment. That's what they base their decisions on. Will this make me feel good or be, make me happy right now? If so, I'll do that. You see, we are, we are all born with an inherent disability, and this disability is called selfishness. All of our infant children are great examples of this. The minute they become uncomfortable, they let us know because they're selfish. And you think, yeah, more of those selfish babies. Well, as we grow, this fascination with self uh, continues to develop. We just learn how to disguise it the older we get. Um, at least we don't scream and cry usually as adults most of the time. When people have the veil of corrupt affections, their fleshly passions keep them from an interest in God. Their, their eyes are veiled to God because they're so distracted by their fleshly desires, their, their interests in material things. Um, they, they value uh, things that, that are only visible to them, right? They, they don't value God because... They can't see. They can't experience him. They're blind to him. So if they're presented with a choice between God and illicit sex, God's invisible. I'm going with illicit sex. If they are presented with an option between a loving God and material possession, I'm going with material possession. I, I can't even see God. God, what? This is, this is dumb. Friends, the unregenerate has one option, and it's self. That's it. They have no way 
to distinguish God in their world. They're blind to it. Carnal affections. This is the only option they have to live by. I remember when we were raising our young children that uh, they would come home sometimes concerned about the way people had treated them at school that day. And our response to them was this, what did you expect? What did you really think that a person who doesn't know God and has no spiritual vision, what do you think they would choose to do to you or say to you? Uh, we would tell our kids, they have no options. <laughs> they, all they have is self. And so get used to this. This is how the world operates. But what happens when God gives us a new heart and opens our spiritual eyes? Do we have any remaining blindness? I want to suggest to you that yes, we do, even as Christians. The residue of spiritual darkness remains a problem. Even after we receive Christ, there's this ongoing struggle with spiritual blindness. And we see this demonstrated beautifully in the story of Mark chapter 8, where Jesus heals a different blind man. Look at the overhead and listen as I read this story and see if you can't see it for yourselves. And they, that is Jesus' disciples and Jesus, came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village and when he had spit on his eyes, he laid his hands on him and he asked, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him away to his home saying, don't even enter the village. Now, what we see here is not a first attempt failure of Jesus' healing, so he had to try again. It's like, oh man, that didn't work. Let me push on those eyeballs harder. That wasn't what was going on here. Jesus was teaching us an important spiritual lesson about the ongoing need of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. See, this, the idea behind this healing communicates that spiritual growth, spiritual eyesight is progressive. It requires the work of God to continue in our lives. We're not going to wake up the day after we embrace Christ and be a spiritual giant. That's not going to happen. We're not going to have full understanding immediately. No, spiritual growth and spiritual insight requires the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, revealing God's truth to us a little bit at a time. And sometimes it gets old, doesn't it? The slowness of this pace. Then I want to encourage you, Christian friends, to not get discouraged with the pace of your spiritual development. Continue to pursue Christ, continue to pray, Psalm 119, verse 18, and ask for God's work in you to continue. In 2 Peter, the apostle indicates this same type of progression. That there's qualities of spiritual maturity are things that grow in the life of a believer. Listen to this from 2 Peter chapter 1. 
For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness. See, he's building and steadfastness with godliness and godliness, brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For whoever lacks these things or these qualities, rather, is so nearsighted and blind that he's having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Paul's talking to Christians. And he says the Christians can remain in darkness if you don't keep pursuing the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Add to, add to, add to, add to is what he's saying here. We, we must remember that spiritual growth is progressive and it's something that comes with time and effort and dependence on the work of the Holy Spirit. But we do come to a point if we are saved of experiencing spiritual light where the gospel makes sense, where things begin to clear up for us and the water begins, or the mud in the water begins to settle a little bit. Notice that the psalmist in verse 18 doesn't ask that God's word be more plain and understandable. You notice that? He, he asks that God opens his eyes to what is already there. God, open my eyes that I may behold the wonderful thing in your law, the things that are there. I want to see them. Open my eyes. Peter called the word of God a lamp shining in a dark place. So we, can know, we know from these, these verses that God's word doesn't need to be improved on or edited in order to be made more clear. Charles Spurgeon said, the veil's not on the book, but on our hearts. That's where the veil lies. It's here, not here. Another important element of this request in verse 18 of Psalm 119 is that the author isn't asking or expecting a new revelation, but simply that he may understand the glory and beauty in the Word of God as it is. More and more people today are seeking more from God than His Word. They seek a unique experience. The word isn't sufficient enough, so they pursue an ecstatic experience as a way to further confirm the reality of God in their own particular experience, their own life. But the original language here in verse 18 indicates that this opening of my eyes is really a removing of a veil, a drawing of the curtain, if you will, so that I can see God as he is in the Scripture. Evidently, in our natural state, we have spiritual blinders on that must be removed prior to benefiting from the Word of God as it is, prior to seeing Christ revealed as He is in all of Scripture. I think this is similar to the scales that fell off the eyes of the Apostle Paul after he was converted. You remember that story, right? Remember his conversion on the way to Damascus? He was struck with blindness, and what happened when he was struck with blindness? He had these scales on his eyes. And so when he had prayed and fasted for three days, a Christian brother showed up and prays over him. And then it says in verse 18, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. This is a, a physical picture of what happens to those who come to Christ. The, uh, the, the spiritual scales, the, the veil, the curtain, are opened or removed so that we can see spiritual truth. So what is required for each of us is the removing of spiritual scales that cover our spiritual lives so that we might see and understand 
the beauty of God in his word. How does this happen? What is the origin of light in Christian's life? As I begin to talk about the origin of light in the Christian's life, you need to keep in mind that God calls himself light. Jesus called himself the light of the world. Um, let me read for you where this is stated. 1 John 1, 5, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness. And then uh, John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so we know that the source is God, but how is it that we experience that light? The origin of light in our hearts begins, I want to suggest to you, at regeneration. And of course, uh, there will be a few of you Reformed folks in here who would like to correct me on the origin of light in our hearts as being the time when in eternity past, God chose us to be in Christ, right? You'd say that's where it all began, and, and of course, you would be right, but I'm talking about our own experience of God's grace begins at regeneration. This is why John 9 is in the Bible. John 9 is just not a cool story about Jesus who healed some guy. It's, a, it's, a, it's an inclusion in God's word to teach us who are reading it how God works, how God brings spiritual sight to people who are blind. Here's how. Jesus touches you. You encounter Christ, and then you see with your spiritual eyes, the glory of God. And what did this guy do in John 9? He worshiped him as soon as his eyes were opened. I, we sang this this morning, I was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. This grace that we sang about this morning in the second stanza says, this grace taught my heart to fear. What are we fearing? What does grace teach you to fear? What does the mercy of God teach you to fear? It teaches you to fear God. It teaches you to understand that God is real and just. And every rational being would be fearful of that. But the same grace, the next line says, it says, and grace, my fears relieved. Not only does the grace of God develop a healthy, godly fear of the, the justice of God, that same grace relieves our fears. How? By opening our eyes to the grace and mercy of God found in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, you don't fear the judgment of God, do you? You shouldn't, Christian friend. All right, that was taken away on Calvary by Jesus Christ himself. So we don't fear that anymore. In, in John chapter 12, Jesus said this, I have come into the world as light, so whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. There's no more to, nothing else to fear. There's no darkness even. Paul, again, to the Corinthian church, we're speaking about the origin of this light in our experience, but their mind, speaking of the Jews, were hardened, for to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, now look, listen to this phrase, because only through Christ is it taken away. So what's the origin of light in your experience? It starts with a C, Christ. 
and his mercy on you. This is, this is further illustrated in the next chapter of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Before I read it for you, or you're already reading it, cheaters, um, who said these famous words, let there be light? God did. When did he say that? In the beginning. God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. The same God who created physical light to, to come into existence, according to Paul, says, let there be light in your heart. It's the same God. The very same miracle. One was physical, the other spiritual. God said in Genesis 1, let there be light. God said in your life, whenever it happened, let there be light. For God said, for the God who said, let their light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's awesome. So we have the origin of spiritual light being regeneration, but it requires the ministry of the Holy Spirit as well, right? So how is the Holy Spirit active in, in or participating in us receiving spiritual light? I'm going to take you to, back to the book of John, and I want to uh, explain to you from the first few chapters in John how this works, how the Holy Spirit participates. John chapter 1, beginning, uh, chapter 12 and 13. I mean, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. To all who did receive him, that's received Christ, to all who embraced Jesus, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. God's responsible. The Holy Spirit is active in you coming to faith. Now, this, this is the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. Put on your, your thinking caps here for a minute. Do you remember the conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus? In chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus says this to Nicodemus, who is the teacher of Israel. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That word born again in the original language can and is and I think should be translated born from above. That's what it means. A person must be born from above if they're going to see the kingdom of God. If they're going to have spiritual eyesight to see the things of God, they must be born from above. They must be born of God, like John said in the first chapter. Then in the same chapter, the next verse, verse 4, Nicodemus re responds to this comment. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Spiritual blindness on display. Spiritual blindness 101 here. Uh, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless the Holy Spirit births you, Nicodemus, you cannot see. Uh, we could probably, right now, ask for testimonies about this very thing, and many of you would raise your hands and say, that was me. I didn't get it. I heard the gospel a hundred times, and I never got it. And for some reason, at some point in time, 
the light came on. What is that? It's the Holy Spirit is what that is. Now, look at how Jesus illustrates the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of everyone who comes to spiritual vision. The eighth verse of this same chapter, same conversation. He's explaining to to Nicodemus, this is a a spiritual miracle uh, done by the Holy Spirit where he opens people's eyes and he says, Nicodemus, this is how it works. It's like wind. He says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus was saying, this is how this works, Nicodemus. The Holy Spirit, the God of the universe, the the Spirit who hovered over the face of the deep in Genesis 1, that same Spirit chooses who, where, and when he's going to do his miracle. That is profound. That's why some people come to faith when they're 80 and others come to faith when they're 8. That's why some people come to faith in their homes and others who were raised in Christian homes don't come to faith until they're 75 on a golf course. The Holy Spirit moves like he wants, like he is designed from before time to accomplish his purposes in the life of every single believer. Look at the need for spiritual light. If the Holy Spirit is the author of the Scriptures, and we believe and teach that He is, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Scriptures were written, right? Then what Peter says to us in his second epistle helps us see how the Holy Spirit is behind our spiritual sight. Okay, listen. In chapter 1, verse 19 of 2 Peter, he says this, and we have the prophetic word. What is that? The scriptures. We have the prophetic word. More fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention. And what's he call it? A lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises where? In your heart. Until light appears in your heart. Where does it come from? The Holy Spirit's work through the scriptures. That's how. Let me say a word here, a pastoral word. When you're sharing the gospel with friends, your testimony is powerless. You understand that? You may have a beautiful testimony. You may have had a fantastic conversion. As as amazing as your conversion is, it will not save anybody. What saves people, according to the verses I just read you? The work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. You've got to get past your personal testimony as quick as you can and get to the Scriptures when you're sharing the Gospel with people. Frankly, most of those testimonies are boring anyways. So get to the Scriptures that actually have some power. 1 Peter 1.23 Since you have been born again not of perishable seed, born again, born from above. How have you been born? Through the living and abiding word of God. That's how. Friends, every person who is saved is saved because of the word, not because of someone's testimony. It's the word of God that saves people. Get the word into their hands. 
pass out copies of the Gospel of John. Have a stack that high in your car. Carry one in your back pocket. Keep them in your home. So when all those confused guests show up ringing your doorbell, you can give it to them and say, read this. What an amazing God we have, friends. In eternity past, he, he planned out the details of this great plan of redemption, which includes you and me if you're in Christ. And this plan included God himself coming to earth to live as one of us in the man Jesus Christ, to live a life of perfection, to die and pay the penalty for the sin that, the sin that we owe, I mean that penalty that we owe for our sin. And then 2,000 years later, after God accomplished this miracle of all miracles, becoming man, you show up on the planet, born in darkness, unable to see spiritual light no matter what. You show up, and at just the right time, in just the right place, encountering just the right preordained circumstances and relationships, the, the Holy Spirit begins to draw you and woo you through the Word of God, birthing in you a new spirit, giving you a new enlightened heart that begins to grow more and more each day in love with God, in love with His Word, and in love with His people. It is a spectacular plan. Look at the blessings here of this great plan. I, I just want to, I've already mentioned a few, but let me just highlight this particular one that we see in 2 Corinthians 3.18. The, the blessings of spiritual light. And we all, that is all of us who have embraced Christ with an unveiled face, the veil's been removed, right? And we all with an unveiled face get to behold the glory of the Lord that we couldn't see before. All right? And we are being transformed by this vision of the glory of the Lord from one degree to another. We're being transformed, this, this phrase says, into the same image. And what image is that? The image of Christ, our Savior, the light of the world. So, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are, be, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Spirit of God, the one who brings light to your eyes, is in the business of making you become like Jesus. That's what he's up to in your life, if you're wondering. You wondering why you have to deal with all these things, have to put up with all these people in your life and have all these problems and so forth and so on? It's because Jesus is conforming you through the Holy Spirit in the Word of God into his image. And he does it this way. I've heard many of you, speaking of the blessings of spiritual light, I've heard many of you tell me how you started to understand spiritual truth more clearly, how you've just begun to see how this doctrine or that doctrine are so in, uh, uh, integral to your joy and, and pursuit of God. I remember talking to many of you during our time when we were going through the book of Genesis and just hearing you kind of rejoice over 
the pictures of Christ seen there. This is all thanks to God who gives us spiritual light by removing the veil of darkness from our minds and spiritual eyes. And so we need to join the author here of Psalm 119 verse 18 and pray with him that God would continue to open our eyes that we might see more and more and more of the wonderful things of God in his word. This is what the, the uh, Baptist, John the Baptist said, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. And so let's ask with the author here, with the psalmist, open my eyes so that I can see wonderful things in your law. Pray with me. Oh, Holy Spirit, we thank you for the work that you have done on our behalf. You have brought us out of darkness and into the light of Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, who is the Savior of all who will embrace him. We ask that you would continue to open our spiritual eyes that we might see wonderful, beautiful, glorious things that are in your inspired word. I pray this morning for those who are in this room who may, who may have never been able to recognize spiritual truth. I pray, that, Holy Spirit, that you would, by your grace and mercy and power at this moment, open their eyes so that they might see the wonderful things that are in your word, that they might see the love of God for them, that they might see their need for forgiveness of sin, that they might see that Jesus is the only way that they must embrace him personally. I pray that the, the blinders of their eyes, the veils would be removed in this room at this moment. God, take all the glory for yourself, but, but save these dear people who need to know you. Help them see. For those of us who have embraced you, God, I, I ask also that, that we would not become content and um, indifferent to our place in Christ and our, our safety in him, but that would, we would continue to pursue you and seek more of you, ask more of you, and discover more of you. Father, open the word to our eyes as well. Continue to remove the veil and the curtains so that we may see more clearly the love of our infinite Savior. And we pray this in his name. Amen.